Hello, everyone. This is Mike Epstein, and welcome to another episode of Speaking of the Arts. I could not be more excited to share this episode with you. I had the opportunity to speak with Jamie Margulis, who is the label director at Ground Up Music. Ground Up is known for releasing incredible music from groups like Snarky Puppy, Bocante, Banda Magda, and so many more. I, wanna, I wanted to hear from Jamie all about how she and her team approach social media. If you haven't checked out Ground Up Music on Instagram or Facebook, you're really missing out. They do a fantastic job rolling out killer content each day and have developed a very loyal fan base. In our conversation, we cover all sorts of useful things like how to manage a content schedule, best practices for Facebook and Instagram, and why Instagram is the best platform for musicians now. We talk about ways to effectively promote tour dates through each platform and much more. Get your pen and paper ready because you are going to come away with great tips and tricks. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jamie. Jamie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm excited to talk about some social media stuff. Me, me too. This is a long time coming and you've had a very busy summer. Where have you been and what have you been up to? I've actually been living in Catalonia, in Barcelona. Um, it became a little center hub for me. I'm very lucky that I get to work remotely with my job because anybody can reach me with a computer or a phone. And luckily, Michael Leake, who we'll talk about if, if nobody knows, he's the band leader of Snarky Puppy and the founder of Ground Up Music, actually is now based in Catalonia, um, an hour outside of Barcelona. So it became a little center hub. Everybody traveled to Europe for jazz festivals and for gigs. So it worked out really well. That's really cool. So he's an expat? Yeah, uh, kind of. He's still going to keep his space in Brooklyn. But for the most part, he's going to be stationed over in Barcelona when he has any free time. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, well, why don't we start at the beginning? Tell tell me a little about yourself. Where, where are you from? Are you also a musician? I am from Philadelphia. I fell in love with music from singing at first, and I think the first time I really found that was watching the show American Idol, and I was like, oh, I want to do that. And while I'm not doing that now, um, I started working at a radio station for iHeartRadio in Philadelphia when I was 14. It was pretty illegal, um, interning, and then became an assistant to one of the DJs there and essentially did everything for him except talk on the radio. So I got to learn a lot. I got to be around a lot of people, and I worked there till I was 18, um, and I was dealing with people who were, like, in their 30s and their 40s, so I kind of just matured really fast, <laughs> and no one knew exactly what my age was, which still seems to be the case today. Um, so growing up in Philly... Obviously, it's a great music scene there as well, but working at the radio station, I fell so in love with the business side of things that I decided if I wasn't going to do it for myself, that I wanted to help other people be able to succeed in this industry and, and just give more authenticity to what they're doing. Um, and, and as far as meeting Michael and, and that sort of background, after I stopped working at the radio station, I was in this after-school music business thing that was hosted by Andy Hurwitz, who's the founder of rope Records, who signed Snarky Puppy in, like, 2007. So Andy eventually left rope and when Michael wanted to branch off from rope and create an independent label for ground-up music and not just be a sub-label, he reached out to Andy to run it. 
Andy and I had become really close. We enjoyed working together. And he asked me, you know, what my plan was after school. And I told him I had absolutely no idea. <laughs> so <laughs> I took a, I took a year off and decided to work for the company. Um, as And my title became the label manager, just overseeing and working with Andy, everything that was happening. And we ended up having a partnership or rather a distribution deal with Universal Music. Um, the brand was Universal Music Classics at the time, now called Verve Label Group. And it was a lot of fun. We essentially got to, like, create a label from scratch because with Ropadope, it was just, you know, like a subdivision of something. And we got to create the real brand of it with Snarky Puppy as the forefront and the backing ground to it. So, yeah, I think that's 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 the intro. Andy introduced me to Michael, and we got on really well. And now it's been over three years. <laughs> That's so cool. So you kind of answered a few of the questions I had for you as far as some of the connections uh, that you made. But so um, what was the timeline for that when you when you started with them? I started working with Ground Up in May 2015. Okay. Got it. And what has your role primarily been since then? And I'm sure that's evolved, and it's probably evolving as we speak, as everybody's role seems to be evolving. Yeah, yeah, it's it's constantly evolving. So as of now, uh, my title is the label director. I started as label manager and worked closely with Andy. Um, Andy is actually no longer at the company. So for since October 2017, um, as the label director, I've just been overseeing all the label operations and the releases that we were doing, which was Breakfast, uh, Band of Magda, of course, PRD Mice, and then this year, we earlier in the year, we had Serenship, Roosevelt Collier, and Alita and Jugarian. So it's been it's been a whirlwind, and we've actually ground up is in a transitional period. So our last record release was Roosevelt in March. Um, it's the last one that we have on the schedule for now. And we're in this transition where we're trying to figure out, okay, we're a record label. Records don't really sell anymore. We're also doing this music festival thing now. And how can we sustain ourselves and be loyal to our artists and still produce great art and give it to the world? So that's kind of the transition we're in now, figuring out and, and hiring new people, um, training new people. And it's, it's been a lot of fun to see it all come together. And for me now, I'm actually planning to go back to school in the fall, um, which I, I never finished college, and take on a part-time role with Ground Up. So what I'll be doing is is kind of being like the safety net, like, <laughs> like the backing glue, because it's all been under – the label has all been under my umbrella for essentially the last three years, and just taking on a lesser, like, part-time role – so it's been a lot of training and hiring and bringing in new people, but I'm really excited for what's next with the company. Where are you going to school? Temple University. Still in Philadelphia. I can't leave yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Okay. So so I kind of want to pick apart some of the things you were talking about because it seems to me that Ground Up is so is also very much a media company at this point especially from the perspective of people who might go onto the website or people who might go onto the Snarky Puppy website or people who might follow Ground Up on social media. There's so much content there. 
and, and I mean, just the Snarky Puppy website alone, you can mm-hmm. access so many past recordings, live recordings. It's presented in a way, I think it's great, um, but, you know, there's just so much content there, and I think that's one of the things that you and I, prior to finally uh, having a chance to do this this episode, okay. we're, we're talking about and tossing around is kind of like, how do you manage all of that content, and how, and like, how do you create a strategy for social media with so much going on, and that's some of the stuff that I was hoping to ask you about. How do you, how many people are actually doing the social media effort at Ground Up? So for me, I've been overseeing the social media efforts, but we also have Becky Blumenthal, who's our digital marketing wizard, and she deserves she I with when it comes to advertising and essentially what is needed for tours and, and album releases, she is such a wizard with that. She creates all the audiences and she'll do all the targeting and just has so many analytics that go into place when it comes to finding the right the right way to budget and spend your money on Facebook, Instagram, et cetera, Google. Um, we have Caroline Fontenot, who is actually going to be taking on my role moving forward, but she just helps, you know, the day-to-day, getting things up, um, you know, create a strategy of what can be posted through all the content that we have. And then we have Richie Straub, who is just like our helping hand and, you know, is our glue piece to make sure things are running smoothly and, you know, will help create the language and the dialogue that is, you know, essentially the voice of Ground Up. But I think what's also important is to separate Snarky Puppy and Ground Up Music. Because with Ground Up Music, one thing that we try not to do is post, you know, too much content of anybody. Because we do have such amazing content of all of our artists, which are, you know, about 20 now. Um, And with Snarky Puppy, it's so easy, you know, to post things of Michael or to post, like, to the band or to post, you know, live from their shows. And it's going to do you know, really great on our channels because that's where so much of our fan base is built. But it's also important to us and, and of course, to Michael that we give everybody that opportunity and, and, you know, that's what the Snarky Puppy page is for. That's not what the Ground Up Music page is for. Yeah, that totally makes sense because you're right. So much of the awareness comes through the brand of Snarky Puppy itself. Right. So that – kind of answers one of my questions, which was ground up as a brand, as a label, is also trying to uh, is trying to manage and post content for its label artists. Is that correct? Oh, oh my gosh, of course. I and mean, if you look yeah. at our Instagram, our Facebook, we, we try to post all the new videos and content that our artists are creating and outputting, the different tours that are happening. Um, different press that happens for our artists, you know, if they get something in Downbeat or Pitchfork or WMYC. We, we want to make the community aware of what's happening with our, with our family, you know, and, and what's great about Ground Up is I think everybody from the fans and, and Mike, I don't know if you've been down to our festival yet, which I'm sure we'll talk about eventually on this call too. Yeah. It really just feels like a family reunion of like, you know, 2,000 people. The artists are mingling with, with the fans. There's master classes. And it just, I mean, it's like you're in your, you're like on the beach in Miami with your extended family. So while, while we do have that, it's important for us to also focus in on that core family being the records that we've released and the artists that are, you know, a part of the ground up music label. Right. I definitely do want to ask you about the festival. 
uh, at some point. And unfortunately, I haven't made it there, but I'm, I, it's on my to-do list. But as far That's as like scary. the technical, yeah, as far as the technical sort of aspects of all of the content and everything, I, I guess a basic question I, I wonder about and maybe hopefully people listening would wonder about too is how do you kind of manage all of it? I mean, are there basic tools or apps that you guys use to sort of schedule all the content? And if so, what have you found? What would you recommend people do if they're in a similar situation trying to, trying to roll out a lot of content and make sure it's timely? Right. One thing that's been really useful for us is just a Google social media calendar in, you know, Google Excel in the drive. Um, so what we'll do is we'll have the Ground Up Music Festival, Ground Up Music, and then also Snarky Puppy and Bocante that we focus, you know, that our team will focus in on every week of, okay, what's being posted and just scheduled out weeks in advance. Obviously, things come up and you move it around or you hear from management, oh, the tour is being announced tomorrow. Okay, great. Yeah, let's just, um, let's, let's create a plan for that then. <laughs> um, and then in terms of our other artists, we have given them a lot of the free ability to just go on their own and come to us when they need advice. So when they have a new video they want to release or they have a new tour that's coming up, they'll come to us and say, hey, this is the timeline. Like, how can you guys help and what can we do? And we'll create a schedule and, you know, if they have budgeting for advertising, um, we'll tell them what we think is best and, and do that for them as well on the back end. But, I mean, in terms of the, all the content that we have and placing it in, there's just so much. You know, there's so much that we even create, you know, for the Becca Stevens release for Gina, which came out in March 2017. We still have videos that we haven't even used for that campaign. That is great because we can go back and, you know, remind people of the record. But usually um, our our biggest asset is when we're in a record release campaign, we decide all the content that we want to create. Obviously, some things go about right and some things don't, don't work. Sometimes you get new things added off the fly. But we usually have a schedule pretty far out in advance of what we want to do. When it comes to afterwards, um, we also like to – you know, if a record comes out in March of 2017, we like to say, okay, well, let's make sure we post something in April. We'll do two things in May just to remind people of what's happening. Because at the end of the day, we are a record label. And it is important to go back to that and make sure we're showing people the music that we have as well as sharing the cool content. But we always want to bring it back to that attention in a very, you know, in a way that doesn't seem too promotional, that's still fun and interesting and intriguing. Um, because something with our fan base is that they just want to see cool shit. And it stems back from Snarky Puppy. You know, Snarky Puppy made these videos and released them on YouTube of an instrumental band of a live recording, which nobody was really doing at the time. So people got to see, you know, the the solos they would take and, and the way Michael and Andy LaViolette had, had edited it but so people knew what to look at and what they should pay attention to. So I think our fan base, is, as much as they're music listeners and lovers, they also just want to learn and understand, like, what's happening. So that's something we also think about with our content and how to produce it, how to release it, and, and making sure it's a good experience for them when we do. Yeah, I just saw something really cool that you guys posted for because you mentioned Becca Stevens, um, a new. I'm assuming it's a new album, but it, it or maybe it's like a throwback. How would you describe it? But, but <laughs> it was it was about her band that she was in when she was really young. 
or the tune mammals. <laughs> yeah, what was yeah, it called? The tune mammals. The tune animals. The tune mammals. Mammals. Oh, two mammals. Sorry. Yeah, it was. Uh, that was hilarious. It's a it's a great project. So they released those. I mean, I don't even know how they released them back in the day. I'm I'm guessing it was a CD. They might have even done cassettes, to be honest with you. But we've been talking with Becca and her father, Bill Stevens, for a while, and they wanted to put this back out on digital platforms and just draw attention to it and, and really focus in back on Becca um, for it. And it's just such a cute little project. So we have a couple of different, like, gifts we're going to post of, you know, photos when Becca was younger with her siblings and singing, uh, you know, when she was, like, four or five years old. Um and she's like, I'm too cute to spank. <laughs> it's it's really funny to see Becca in that limelight. And I think for people, it really does appeal to, like, a Becca Stevens fan. I think if people saw that and didn't know her or just – it's not something people are going to just go and buy. <laughs> so I think it's right. a fun thing for the community to see and laugh at and, you know, it, yeah, that is a really great video. <laughs> Yeah, well, and also I think it's kind of a good segue into one thing I wanted to ask you about, which is how people, like, how do you guys think about best practices for the difference between using Facebook and Instagram? Because, you know, mm. I feel like a while ago, when I say a while ago, I don't, I guess I mean, I don't know, five years ago, six years ago, on Instagram, it was not being used primarily as a video platform. And certainly now it, like, really is. But at the same time, um, Facebook is as well. So there's still there's still are fine nuances between the two. And that video, for some reason, stood out to me as just seeming to fit really well on Instagram with kind of how I was experiencing the con I was experiencing the content on my phone, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. I mean, it's it's an endless debate and it's an endless discussion of the two platforms and and what you should and shouldn't do. But I'm always trying to learn how to use them better so what is i mean do you guys kind of have some overarching things you think about when you use both or how do you think about that definitely so we will post a lot of the same content on facebook and instagram i think with instagram it could also be more personal now though where facebook for for different pages you want to keep it more business-like um because what they're doing now on Facebook with the algorithm is they made it so your friends and family are really the primary people who are seeing your posting and people aren't seeing fan pages as much. So people are more in that mindset of seeing photos or seeing things people like or what their articles, their friends share about emotional quotes and stuff like that. Um, and it's not as much music unless you're, you know, subscribing to the page and Facebook sees you're an active member on it. So what we try to do is post more of the promotional content anyway because a lot of the time when you do post personal stuff, it's because you want to, you know, maybe a lot of artists, you know, do want to share that stuff, but for the most part, a lot of record labels and managers will say, you know, your fans want to know you and it's going to do well on your social media, so it's like you have to post that. Where Instagram is more so now the platform of where you'd want to post, you know, a video uh, barbecuing with your friends or anything that's not really musical, musically related to what you're doing for the music industry. 
But in terms of the different things we think about technically for Instagram and Facebook, I would say Instagram, you definitely want to post, like, high-quality content. And in terms of a community, one page we really look at a lot is, is Pickup. It was Pickup Jazz before, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they've grown. I mean, they have, like, over 300,000 followers now, but they just have such a musician community where they have people who are in school following them, and they have people like probably, you know, Chance the Rapper and Thundercat and Snarky and Robert Glasper who know who they are, follow them, and just want to see the content that's being posted on their page. Because something that's also really important when it comes to using social media at all is just branding and consistency. So if you're going to, you know, post uh, covers of yourself, you know, playing weather report, and it's going to be while a hurricane is happening behind you, it's like having consistent content that people can rely on you for is really important rather than just posting an array of things that don't really add together. Um, in terms of an artist, like Mono Neon is a great example. Obviously, he's branded himself, like, visually, too, with what he wears. But with social media, he always posts those videos. They're not memes, but, um, you know, Pete, like Cardi B talking or Will Smith giving an inspirational speech. And he'll post a video, like, an um, instrumental behind it, playing. And he shows people what he's doing. And it's he's built a base from being consistent and giving not only high quality and fun content, but consistently giving that to people. So they know what they're going to get when they follow Mononeon. You know what you're going to get when you follow Pickup Jazz. Um, and that's something that we really wanted to build for Ground Up Music. It's like, obviously, you know the artists that are on our label, but it's like, you we want to make sure that like, you know you're going to get consistent, high quality, cool shit when you follow us. Some things are obviously just going to be promotional with a tour poster or you know, um, a promo video, but we really try and add an array of things. So it's like, yeah, we have Charlie Hunter, you know, at rehearsal doing this really cool thing that only Charlie Hunter can do. <laughs> or, you know, we have Snarky Puppy in um, in Morocco with the Ganala musicians, like a behind-the-scenes thing of them learning the music. Just something that's really going to be fun and intriguing um, and and just being that reliable source. And I think I mentioned I was going to go into the technical things, but I'm going to go into the technical things now. <laughs> um, All right. For Instagram, when you're posting video content, something that's really important is um, um, I'm thinking in Spanish because my phone's in Spanish now. The uh, the cover image, <laughs> <laughs> the cover image that you choose for the video is super important. Um, something we did on the Snarky Puppy page recently was post Michael's new bamboo Conte. And the image was very dark, and it actually showed us that the the engagement went down because people were less likely to to watch or stay on a video that they couldn't really tell what the cover image was. So you really want to have – it's like YouTube when you're doing a thumbnail for the video. You really want to have a clear image so people know what they're going to be getting into before they start watching the video. Um, what else can I tell you? Obviously, high-quality content and what's engaging. Um, oh, for, for tour promo, something that we try to do is obviously a tour poster is specific to regions. You know, if you're touring in Europe or you're touring the West Coast, the East Coast. So what we try to do to relate it to everybody and make it an engaging post is we'll post a video of, let's say, Bill Lawrence, you know, at a show or just, just doing a solo, maybe a video from one of his records. 
And then the description will say, oh, Bill's heading on tour. You know, this is a video from, you know, live at Union Chapel, filmed in 2000 and whatever, 15. Um, but swipe over to see where he'll be touring in Europe. So that's something that we found has probably increased the engagement by double. Because also a tour poster isn't always enticing for people to look at. And like I said before, our community wants to see cool things that are happening. So while they might not be able to see Bill on tour, they can watch this video of Bill. Maybe they'll watch it and then see, oh, they're going to be in London. I have two friends there that I can tell. So it just it boosts the engagement and also boosts the likability, the like, sorry, the likelihood that the people you want to see the post will. Um, also for Instagram, Instagram stories have definitely been a game changer. They've been rolling it out on different pages, but what you can do is post a story and then also attach the link so when people view the story, they can swipe up to go to, you know, your website or where your tickets are or your pre-order link or a new music video. So that's been really huge. And Instagram will show you the analytics of, you know, people who've watched it versus people that skipped it versus the people that actually swiped up to see it. Um, and, yeah, and also for I'll, – I'll leave this in with Facebook as well, but the timing of the post really matters too. It's important – Facebook is pretty easy to see – your analytics of the people who are following you, the time of the day that's best to post, the day of the week that's best to post, the different countries that are active on your page. For Instagram, there's a couple of different apps you can download. Um, I think one of the ones that I had was Insta, Insta, um, something like that, where you can just input your info. I think I had to I had to pay like a one-time fee for the app. And it'll show you when your fans are active online, um, what the most engaging posts have been, what posts have made you lose followers. So it's also important to make sure you're you're aware of that so you're giving the fans, like, what they want to see and, and you're not overbearing in, in certain ways. Um, so with, and for Instagram, it's important for the time of the post and definitely with Facebook. We try to post all of our content between really, like, 9 and 12 p.m. Eastern. That seems to be the best time when our fans are online for Ground Up Music and even for Snarky Puppy um, and when our posts are getting the most engagement from everybody. So, you know, just knowing that analytics in the Facebook, and I, I think you're probably going to ask me about artists who are starting out and are new, but, you know, when you already have that fan base built up, just making sure you're abiding by, you know, what's been working and, and don't ignore what's happening um, statistically on your page already. This is so helpful. And I'm just looking it up as you're speaking. So I, I did find an app called InStatistics. So I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds like a really great tool to be using. Yeah. And there's a ton of them that you can Google. I'm sure some of them are free and, and some of them give different sorts of information. But it's, I mean, you know, you want to make sure that you're doing right by the fans. And if you're doing something where you're losing you know, a hundred, depending on what kind of fan base you have, but like, you know, a hundred followers every time you do a tour poster, it's like, well, clearly that's not working. You know, clearly there has to be something else that you want to try and do. But, and, you know, you said five or six years ago, Instagram wasn't even a video platform. I would say nowadays, Instagram is probably the best platform for musicians to be on because for Facebook, you know, you have that algorithm crap that Facebook changes all the time. But for Instagram, you can use hashtags, which I think some of them 
are a little cheesy, to be quite honest with you. But, you know, they definitely serve a purpose and, and they help a lot. But with Instagram, it's so much easier to find, you know, new artists and new content and new pages to follow. And it's like I follow so many, like, vegan cooking pages on Instagram. So it gives me a lot of recommendations for other vegan pages or vegan restaurants. And it's just, oh, that's so cool. And, you know, if I follow, um, I followed, like, two percussionists in a row, and then it gave me the next day, like, oh, suggestions. Like, here's, like, you liked this person or you followed this hashtag, and here's five other things that are relating to it that you can check out that I had no idea about. Um, so it's, it's really just a good tool for finding new things, which I think, you know, whether you're – maybe not if you're, like, Ariana Grande or, or Justin Bieber, but even when you're snarky puppy and, and have a big name in, in the, you know, jazz community musician world, it still helps so much for new people. To, that's what you want. It's like you want to build a fan base and, and have new people know who you are. And Instagram is definitely the platform to be on to do that. Yeah, you've given some just awesome examples of, of specific things people can do to, f- to further boost engagement. I love the example of posting a tour image, but then making sure that there is a video to go with it, because you're right, not everybody who sees the tour image is going to be in, the, in a city where the band is coming. I mean, simple things like that are so helpful. Is there, I mean, is there anything that you would, you would caution people not to do on either platform? I mean, I guess the one thing we really haven't talked about, which is something that I actually hound all my artists with, is authenticity. And I think at the end of the day, no matter what a record label, a management, a tour promoter is telling you, you have to be authentic to yourself. And I think a lot of artists, you know, can do that musically, but when it comes to social media, just want to follow, you know, what's happening or what the trend is and, and do something they're maybe not comfortable with or don't feel confident in. So, I mean, the biggest thing that I would say in terms of not to do is to do something that you're, you don't feel represents yourself well. Um, so maybe we'll tell you to, you know, post like track by track commentary, which means if we have a, an album campaign, you know, going to your singles or the songs that mean a lot to you and, you know, just give some background information on it. That's something that we found is a really good marketing tool to get people to know about the record, to get people to realize who the artist is, and to get people to realize, you know, what the song means and and where it comes from. But some people just don't feel comfortable sitting in front of a camera and explaining the song. It's like they want to write the song, they want to perform the song, they want to release the song, but they don't want to talk about the song. So it really just comes down to the the content also representing, like, who you are and not just doing something because it's, people tell you to or they, they say that's the right way to do it. You have to kind of know yourself and how you want to brand yourself. Yeah. Are there – I want to make sure I ask you this question, too. Are there any platforms that you use that we haven't talked about? Um, do you use Twitter at all? What are your thoughts on that? Twitter has definitely become less essential um, in terms of our everyday. I think Twitter is great. Like, I, I don't really see, like, a following building, but we'll still keep up with it and, you know, share and retweet and post content. But I think Twitter is great for, like, funny memes or just, like, creative wording. So people who, you know, have a lot to say and, you know, say it in an elegant way. I know Corey Henry is really active on Twitter in terms of just, like, responding to people that will also post, like, funny stuff or, you know, just just posting literally statuses about things that are happening in your life and, 
in a way that relates to people. Um, and it's something that people either want to share or react to. And I think Twitter can be important in that sense, but I think in terms of growing for a musician, it's not as important, but I think it's also important to try and, you know, at least have your name on the platform, try it out, see what happens. But I, I think it's a hit or miss for different people. That that makes sense, yeah. I think one of the key takeaways, of course, is trying to figure out what actually works for a particular musician's brand and kind of going with it and not worried so much about, well, I have to post it here and I have to post it on that platform. I have to post it on It seems like you can easily get overwhelmed and lose sight of what the point of all this is. Do you think we're going to get to a point, if we're not already, where artists don't actually need a website? Or what do you think about that? Oh, our artists don't need a website. I mean, I think when people Google most artists who, you know, already have some sort of a platform, they probably look at the Wikipedia page first rather than a website. But I think it's always going to be important for a website, even if it's just for more internal reasons than, than externally with the fans. So, you know, when you're pitching a new record or to have your press materials or to have all your tour dates in one place, um, I think it's always going to be something that's important to have just for, um, like, like just for formality, really. Obviously, you can put, you know, with Facebook, it's like you can put all the tour dates on one page. But I think just having one place that people can go where it's just about you, you have your store, your tour dates, everything about your music, everything people want to find out about you, like, you know, you can go to that one place. And I, obviously, for artists who, don't really have that sort of a platform yet where, where people are searching them all the time. I still think for formality reasons that people are going to keep up with it because when press look you up or people are finding out who you are, um, even if you're, you know, Mariah Carey or releasing your first record for the first time with no name, I think it's important that people can just be in one spot and it's all centered around you and what you do and who you are. Yeah, I'm going to just call out one of my all-time favorite musicians and human beings in the world just because it's totally relevant to what we're talking about. But, you know, the great the great drummer and musician, Brian Blade, he doesn't have a website, or, or he does. I'm actually looking at it, but it's it's been under construction for about seven years. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, he's, and I should say he's a, he's a rare exception to somebody who can probably get away with not having an active website because everybody knows who he is and just what a genuinely amazing person he is. But I was just kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that. And, you know, is it still kind of necessary? But I tend to agree with you. It is, it's, it's something that acts as sort of a easy way to reference what an artist is doing. And, um, I, I guess until the whole idea of like websites as we know them goes away, it's probably something people should totally still invest in. I have a general marketing question for you that I'm curious, or maybe it's not something you're involved with at Ground Up, but what about email lists? Is that something you guys actively cultivate for Ground Up, or, or is that what do you guys do with that? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of an email list, um, I think what a lot of bands have found is that when you go on tour and you try to collect email lists, it's very difficult because when you do it with the writing way, it's just a pen and paper, it's really hard to understand a lot of people's handwriting, and it usually doesn't, you know, make the time worthwhile. What we did for Snarky Puppy on tour is we had an iPad where people could sign up, 
but obviously most people come to the to the merge table at the end of the night and there's just no time to explain to people what that iPad is for when you have like money being thrown at you and you're finding different sizes and people want to exchange things and you know there's a band signing right next door it's a little too crazy so we found that actually the best way going back to the website the best way to cultivate our email list is you know having that on the website where people can sign up and put their email um but we do send out email blasts bi-weekly and I think our email list now has grown to over 30,000 people. That's great. So I just want to make sure I'm hearing you correctly. So what you've found is rather than worrying about having people actually sign up for a list that shows, having the easy way to do it on the website sort of takes care of itself. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. And it's yeah. not something that we're actively growing. Um, but what we'll do is when people purchase something in our store, or people inspired about things, we'll usually just direct them, you know, stay in touch with everything that's happening through our email list. Got it. Great. This is, I could talk to you about this stuff all day, but I'm kind of <laughs> conscious of our time here. <laughs> so I do want to yeah. touch on how the Ground Up label itself has expanded and is now doing a festival. Can you talk a little bit about that and how, I'm curious, from your perspective in the context with our conversation on social media, like what is it like during the festival and how do you kind of manage all the amazing stuff going on and, and kind of keep um, keep the content going online? Like how do you think about that? Yeah, so in terms of how the festival came about, it's been an idea that's been with the company for a while. We had our first one in Miami in 2017 and we'll have – our third one coming up next year in Miami. I don't I don't think the dates are announced yet, but it's going to be in the beginning of February. It'll be announced soon. And we're also planning to have one in Buenos Aires next year, as well as expand it to Europe at some point, if not in 2019, hopefully in 2020. Um, and actually, with the festival, something that I noticed after the last one in 2018 is I, I was on tour with Snarky Puppy for about a month, and I could see people correlating ground up with snarky puppy and ground up with charlie hunter and just with the different artists that were on it or like oh like the wood brothers played like the ground up music festival like it was it was cultivating its own brand you know even more so than just doing the record label thing or after the first festival after the and i'm very curious to see how that changes after the 2019 festival as well because it's just continuing that ground up branding um, and that goes hand-in-hand hand with the social media content. So, obviously, it's a very crazy weekend. And what our team does beforehand is we list out everything that's happening from the master classes to, you know, who's playing on the main stages to what, you know, collaborations and sit-ins we know are going to happen. And we we think about what are people going to want to see the most and what what makes this festival special. So, so the two things that really do are the master classes where, you know, you have Lena Lueke and Bela Fleck who have never, they never spoke beforehand, but I think they did a songwriting master class at the last festival. And it was incredible. And the artists enjoyed it. The audience enjoyed it. And it's like, okay, how can we capture this to let people know, one, that it's happening, two, that it's through ground up music, and three, that you should be here or, <laughs> you know, that it's like you, like this is something that you should want to know about and be a part of in the future if you can. Um, 
and we just kind of schedule that stuff out beforehand. So with the with the master classes, we'll have somebody there for the full time and just capture little snippets, whether it's them playing together or going into like a deep conversation of you know how they melodically do this and and what are what what you can't find somewhere else. And the other special thing about the Ground Up Music Festival is the sit-ins that happen and the different performances. Joshua Redman played in 2018, and his band was Lionel, uh, Michael League, and Larnell Lewis, like a one-time, one-night-only thing. So that was something that we knew, okay, that's something we definitely want to do a live stream of because it's never going to happen again. We want to do a long, gated content of it, and um, I mean, it's awesome. <laughs> it was so cool. Um, for the wood I should say I got to see some of that on social media. It was very yeah, cool. And it's like, it's so cool. And, like, the Wood Brothers, when they played, like, the last – I think they had Roosevelt sitting in, Roosevelt Collier. And then, like, the last song, like, Larnell came on stage. Actually, I, I think Corey Henry was there for a bit. I think he, like, played the cowbell for a second and then ran off. But there was just, like, about five musicians who went on stage to just jam and sit in. And I think to see that and to understand that's such a big part of what Ground Up is, like, that community and that musicianship. And it's, like, People just, it, it's like the artists and fans are the same thing. People just want to learn from each other and they want to experience it together. Um, and, and they're all, everyone's a fan of everyone. At the end of the day, it's like the coolest thing ever to be able to work with these musicians. Um, but yeah, so with Ground Up, it's just scheduling it out in advance, you know, making sure people are at the places where we know these moments are going to happen. Obviously, we don't get all of the moments on social media. And we also try not to overload our social media. Um, but something I learned from working at iHeartRadio, actually, during they have the show called Jingle Ball every year for the major markets. And what they do is they post constantly. You know, I guess Instagram is probably the thing that they're doing now, but it would just be like every, like, 20 minutes, like, oh, this artist is on the red carpet. Oh, this artist is performing. And you'd see, like, some of the posts would pick up, but a lot of the great content got lost. So what we'll try to do is, We'll post what we think is really essential in the moment, and we'll save a lot of videos to post throughout the year or to promote the next festival. And it's also, you know, you can't really strategize it in the moment of, okay, this one I have to save and this one I'm going to post. But, you know, you make your best judgment call. Um, there's not really a right or wrong answer when it comes to social media. It's all experimenting, and, you know, some things just happen, and some things are like, oh, I thought that was, like, a really cool video, but – Nobody really seems to care. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all just, a, you know, just trying to strategize it in the best way at, at when you're on site at the festival. Well, let me try and figure out how to tie everything up here and wrap up because, again, I don't want to get carried away and have you talk any more <laughs> than, than you've already been so kind to give us your time here. What do what oh, I – <laughs> Well, what do, what do the next three years look like for Ground Up? What's on the horizon in addition to the festival? Ooh, that's very interesting. So, as I mentioned, we are planning to expand the festival. We want to keep it in Miami every year. We're hoping to do a yearly one in Buenos Aires, um, hopefully starting in 2019. We have a couple offers in Europe to do it in Italy. I think even Barcelona might have been one of them. Um, there, was a, there was a territory that Bocante just went to. And we're just kind of scouting it out and what makes the most sense and will be a good experience for the listeners and the fans that come. But 
in terms of, you know, other than just, <laughs> other than just the festival, something that we do want to do in the future is Ground Up Music Presents events. So maybe in New York, you know, quarterly we can have an event where we're hosting two musicians that come together and maybe do like a master class and performance type thing. We actually did that with Charlie Hunter. Gosh, I don't know if it was the fall of 16 or 17. It was 16, definitely 2016. <laughs> maybe, yeah, 16, 16 for sure. The fall of 2016 was like two months after his record came out. Him and Vernon Reed did something at Drone. And it was a really cool event. We recorded the whole thing. We just played together and they like talked about each other and their past and how it correlated and people asked questions. So I think doing different events, we'd also like to put on tours, you know, with our artists or, you know, artists that we curate with in, in terms of the festival or that, you know, represent what we're trying to do. So maybe have like, you know, Nowhere and Serentip, you know, do a UK tour and just have like ground up essentially sponsoring it. That's definitely a big goal that we want to try and accomplish one day, um, maybe starting in 2020. It would be great to start playing that out in 2019, but it's been something that's correlating for a while. And then in terms of the record label, um, as I mentioned earlier in our chat, we're kind of in this transition period where we're putting all our ducks in a row. We want to make sure that we're serving the artists on the label the best way we can, still promoting what they're doing and going back to our record releases that we've had with them. I would like to say in the future, uh, while we haven't committed to any records now, that we probably will be a functional record label again, I think next year. I think that we'll start releasing records again and really just trying to keep building that that brand of ground-up music. And, and I refer back to, to Pickup, who used to be called Pickup Jazz, of what they've done with their musician community and their following. Something that we really want to strive for is also having Ground Up be, you know, I don't want to say a media company, but I want to word it in a way, you know, we want to be a reliable source for fans to come to to see high-quality content that also is great music and represents great people, great artists, and great musicianship. So, you know, just continuing to build that brand and, become that source for people to want to go to to see what's happening. This is super exciting. You guys have so much on the horizon. So <laughs> I think we should wrap up here, Jamie. Thank you so much for your time. And lastly, where can people listening go to connect with you if they want to learn more about all the awesome stuff you talked about? Where can they connect with me? I guess the best way, you'll probably find me creeping on social media and liking different posts from Ground Up Music, but I guess the best way is just through email, um, jamie, J-A-M-I-E, at groundupmusic.net. That's the best way to reach me. If you have any questions or follow-ups or anything, feel free to bug me twice if I don't answer the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Careful what you wish for. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, thanks again. Hey, and uh, by the way, good luck uh, at Temple. I'm sure that'll be a great thing for you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. And, and thanks, Mike, for, you know, everything that, like I said, that you do for our artists. And for those who don't know, Mike represents one of our artists, Banda Magda, and has been doing such amazing things for them in terms of the touring world. He is incredible and part of the Ground Up family. So, you know, I'm more than happy to be here and be able to chat with you. Thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Mike, I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.